The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning at the 11th verse. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Christ. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Come now, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come and overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing, so that what is said and what is heard is of and from and by you. Use the preaching of the word of God to glorify Jesus and to change our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, here we are. Samson, once again. That's not the sermon slide for this sermon, but that looks great. There we go. That was a very beautiful sermon slide, though, for last week's. Samson. Samson shrugged. Judges, chapter 16. Samson is a complicated character. He's called and set apart by God to begin to deliver God's people from the oppression of the Philistines. But for all of his wonderful gifts... Samson was more like a Philistine than he was an actual Israelite. When I think of Samson, when I read through chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the book of Judges, and it talks about Samson and what he did in his life and the gifts he had, I I can't help but think of a draft pick for the NFL who never lives up to the potential shown in college. We call that a bust, right? right? It's pretty much... Any quarterback who played in any of the universities in the state of Florida and got drafted in the NFL in the past 20 years. They're all busts, right? They're all... I mean, I know I'm not in Kansas anymore. Kansas doesn't really even have a football team, so... You think about that, though, right? Take your pick, which university in Florida, because the pattern is consistent among Miami, Florida State, and the University of Florida... Uh, these quarterbacks who have tremendous success. They've got, uh, they even perhaps win a Heisman Trophy, and, and then they get drafted in the first round, and then they fail miserably in the NFL. 
between services, I was actually trying to think of the last quarterback that came out of a Florida university and did well in the NFL, and I came up with uh, Vinny Testaverde and Bernie Kosar. And that was the 80s, right? Danny Warfel did not do well in the NFL, but thanks for playing. Huh. All the gifts, all the talent, all the privilege. Charlie Ward didn't do well either. He didn't even go to the NFL. He won the Heisman Trophy and goes and plays basketball. Anyway, we're getting way off topic here. <laughs> I did start it, didn't I? <laughs> all the gifts, all the talent, all the privilege, and yet never quite able to reach the level expected of him or anticipated for him. Samson had the calling and he had an equipping that far outpaced all of the other judges. And yet, as you read through his narrative, as you read through the acts of his life, he never could get out of his own way. Set apart for special use by God, signified by his Nazarite vows, Samson was to abstain from wine, he was to avoid touching dead bodies, and he was to not have his hair cut. From the narrative, however, Samson was not a very good Nazarite. He celebrated his wedding in, in Judges chapter 14, his wedding to a Philistine woman through the traditional week-long drinking festival. He pulled honey from the decomposing body of a lion, and the corpses of his enemies literally piled up around his feet. Samson wasn't a good Nazarite, but he wasn't a good Israelite either. Living by what was right in his own eyes, Samson paid little attention, no attention to what was right in God's eyes. A recurring theme in Samson's narrative is that he sees something, and in seeing it, he desires it, and he pursues it regardless of God's law. What did he say about the Timnite woman, the Philistine woman in chapter 14? I see she is good in my eyes. In this, he, he wasn't alone, and, and I think in many ways it can be said that Samson is personifying and individualizing that what Israel as a whole was doing, comfortable and complacent with the Philistines, behaving more like the Philistines than Israel as God intended. That's really how Samson's entire life goes until, until the end. And finally, at the end, there is some level of redemption. Just as a first-round bust might actually lead a game-winning drive, in the last scene of Samson's life, he achieves something of significance. The narrator here of the book of Judges brings us into the last third of Samson's story, the, the third act in chapter 16, verse 4, as Delilah is introduced. Now, Delilah and Samson, they're a long ways from being two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl. They are far from being the star-crossed lovers of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Samson and Delilah had what can only be described as a toxic relationship. The story is well known. I mean, I grew up knowing the story of Samson and Delilah from my flannel graph Sunday school. That's how old I am, I know. The story is well known. It inspired at least one song by the Grateful Dead. Delilah is a woman that Samson loved. But she was approached by leaders of the Philistines and offered a tremendous amount of money to discover and then disclose the secret to his success, the, the secret to his strength. And in fact, the majority of chapter 16, the majority of the story about Delilah revolves around her multiple attempts to do this and his inability to figure out what was going on. Clearly, blessed with strength, logic was not one of Samson's strong suits. 
The first three times Delilah says, tell me the secret of your strength, Samson teasingly told her something to appease her. And each time it gets a little bit more ridiculous. And each time Delilah arranged for the Philistines to, to seize him. And each of these three times, Samson sprung free. After the third time, the, with Samson not being able to sense the pattern to understand what's happening here, Delilah ups the game. She manipulated Samson with her good looks, her charm, and the ever-popular, if you really loved me. She wore him slap out. That's what she did. I mean, that's what the narrator tells us. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. That's love right there. And so he says to her, he told her all his heart, worn out by her, worn out by her attempts. He finally just says to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Reading through uh, Samson's story, reading through all of Samson's story, we, we, we find in chapters 14 and 15, the things that he does, I, I think it's fair for us to ask this question, does Samson really know that he's called by God and set apart with this Nazarite vow? He treated these vows with such disregard that I think it's a fair question to say, does he even know it? But here, with what he says to Delilah in chapter 16, verse 17, with, with his admission to Delilah, the really heartbreaking, heartbreaking reality comes to bear upon us. Samson did know about his vows while he was having a drinking party. He did know when he ate honey out of the lion. He didn't care. He just didn't care. And here, because of his weakness brought about by doing what is right in his own eyes, because of his sin, he shared his secret and he ends up blinded. He ends up bound. He ends up broken. Delilah rocked him to sleep and had his head shaved. By the way, I, this is kind of funny. If you think that you can uh, that you would wake up while someone is shaving your head. I, I heard a story about a husband and wife. He bet her that she couldn't shave his foot while he was asleep, uh, and, and not, uh, he would wake up. And Anyway, the next morning, he woke up with his foot shaved and his toenails painted pink. It was really funny. <laughs> Somehow it happens that Samson... That was not me. Not, 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 a, not, not autobiographical. Uh, Delilah rocked him to sleep, had his head shaved, and then... When Samson awoke to her cries that the Philistines were upon him, he went to free himself, but he did not know that the Lord, that Yahweh, had left him. This man of strength, this man gifted, this man empowered, this man called, set apart and sent by Yahweh, and yet who lived according to his own eyes, ends up in chains with those very eyes gouged out. Samson ends up in a grinding mill making flour, he becomes the object of mockery and ridicule. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And in the last scene of Samson's third act, we find him in the temple of Dagon, the god of the Philistines in the city of Gaza. His imprisonment was the cause for the Philistines to rejoice to their god, Dagon, and to think that it was Dagon who had given them victory over Samson. And here he was, broken, blinded, bound, Samson, the object of mockery and scorn at the last, at the last scene of his life, the last words that he mutters, a humble prayer to Yahweh. And then Samson shrugged. The temple fell and the Philistines and Samson 
died. In his death, Samson once again worked to deliver his people. Three driving questions that we've been asking through our, 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 our sermons in the book of Judges. Three driving questions. What does this tell us about humanity? What does this tell us about God? How does this help us or how does it point us towards Jesus? In Samson, quite frankly, folks, we see, we see ourselves reflected. We see who we are. Samson lived according to that which was right in his own eyes, and quite frankly, we have the same tendency. Just like Samson, when we see what is good and what we call good, and when we pursue what we call good, we actually end up being enslaved. We actually end up being bound. We actually end up being blinded. Samson and Israel both, this is the pattern for both of them, Samson and Israel both placed themselves above God as they sought what they wanted and they ignored what he wanted. That recurring theme, they did what was right in their eyes, which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. There was no king in Israel. Everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. It's so incredibly easy, natural even, for us as humans to do this. And when we do, when we pursue things uh, that we say is good and we turn our back on God like Samson did, like, like Israel did, even while we, we think we're being perhaps faithful, while we turn our backs, we find ourselves far from our true home. We find ourselves far from the only one who can give us life. We find ourselves in a far country. Jesus told a parable about a young man who demanded his inheritance from his still-living father. This young man took it, and he went into a far country where he spent all he had in reckless living. This young man did what was right in his own eyes, and he turned his back on his father, ending up envying pigs. It's not hard to think that Jesus is retelling the story of Israel in this parable. And it's not hard to see parallels between Samson and this young man, and it's not hard to see parallels between us and the young man either. Like Israel, Samson wandered far afield, and like all of humanity, Samson and Israel needed to be restored to the Father. Just as the young man in Jesus' parable finally came to himself and realized who he was and what he needed, so in Judges chapter 16, the blinded Samson was finally able to see, to see himself and what he needed. God is no pushover. Sin does have consequences, but God will indeed forgive the sins of those who repent. And we catch a glimpse of, of Samson's return to Yahweh finally at the end of his life. He cries out in chapter 16, verse 28. He cries out, O Lord God. Remember, when we see the name of the Lord uh, in all caps, it's, it's his name Yahweh. Finally, we have Samson crying out, to Yahweh, the, the God of Israel. For the first time in the narrative, Samson cries out to God in recognition of who he is. He, he finally seems to get it. Broken, blinded, and bound, he finally seems to get it. He recognizes that God is the one who was responsible for all that he had and all that he was and all that he had done. He prays to the Lord to strengthen him one more time. And in this, he recognizes that he needs grace. He recognizes that he can't do it on his own. He recognizes that he doesn't deserve it. About Samson's prayer in verse 28, author Barry Webb has written, there's desperation in the way Samson appeals to God here. 
but there is also something very poignant. It is an appeal to God to act on the basis of the special relationship he had established with Samson even before he was born. He acknowledges how little he has to expect any, how little right he has to expect anything from God. Barry Webb says this prayer, it is the language of a beggar. But how will God respond? What's God going to do with Samson? What does this passage tell us about God? This passage shows us, it tells us that God is gracious to those who turn to him. That's one of the dominant themes of the entire book of Judges, found here in the story of Samson. So many times before in the book of Judges, as he does here, God has revealed his grace, his love, his kindness, his mercy to his people, especially as they cry out, especially as they turn to him seeking deliverance, seeking salvation. Like the people of Israel as a whole, Samson had wandered far afield. And yet, all along the way, we find Yahweh faithful to Samson, just as we have found Yahweh to be faithful to his people. Why? Why does God do this? Why would Yahweh be faithful to deliver an unfaithful people? Why is Yahweh persistent with his people? Why is Yahweh faithful to a questionable knucklehead like Samson? Because that's who he is. In our gospel reading for today, Jesus paints a wonderful, beautiful, wonderfully beautiful portrait of the Father, of God, and of his character. Abandoned by a son who treated him as if he were dead, the Father's love burned bright, the Father's love burned hot for his boy, and he actively waited for the son's return. Even while the boy was on the road home, the father saw him and breaking all the protocols of social behavior, bearing the shame of the son's return for the son, the father ran to the young man and embraced him, pulling him fully back into the family, giving him clothing and a ring, bringing him back, not as a second-class citizen, not as a slave or a servant, but as a son. That is who God is. This is who God showed himself to be in the book of Judges and in the life of Samson. Even as Samson was unfaithful, God was faithful to him and to the promises that he had made, that God had made to the man. Just as God had been faithful to his people Israel, even in the face of their unfaithfulness, so God was faithful to Samson as he wandered far afield, away from God, away from his vows, away from his people into a far country. Why does God persist with his people? Because God is the loving father, looking for the lost and awaiting them upon the road of return. Because God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, patient, full of steadfast love, true, just, and forgiving. God is gracious to those who return to him. He's gracious to Samson. And here, finally, Finally, we see some level of redemption for Samson as it comes, not through his strength, but through his weakness. Here, finally, we see some level of repentance from Samson, even as he's bound, he's blinded at the end of himself and in recognition of his deepest need. Here, finally, in the final scene of his life, do we see this first-round draft pick pick up his potential as he reaches out to Yahweh. And here we see the glorious kindness of God as he responds to Samson with grace, just as the father of the wandering son welcomed him home with open arms. 
Like Samson, all of humanity needs a relationship of faith and trust with God in order to be fully human, in order to be what we were made to be. We've already seen that God is gracious, merciful, and kind to respond to those who cry out to him. And just as he did for Israel and for Samson, so he still does today as he offers salvation in and through the greatest judge, Jesus. We see ourselves in Samson. And we see the greatness, the glorious kindness of God. And we're pointed towards Jesus. Jesus, the greatest judge who defeats his enemies through his own death. We're told here by the narrator in Judges chapter 16 that through his death, Samson worked his greatest act of deliverance as he defeated more Philistines as he died than he did while alive. His greatest work of deliverance, Samson's greatest conquest over the enemy of God, God's people, was through his sacrificial death. Now, that should sound a little bit familiar to us. We read in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made sinners righteous. Jesus, the greatest judge, defeated the enemies of God and God's people through his own sacrificial death. And in his grace, God provided a deliverer. In the book of Judges, God provides deliverers in the judges and here in Samson to do the work he's given him to do. He, he gave Samson to begin to save his people. And the greatest aspect of Samson's work came as he shrugged, as he leaned into the temple pillars in the final scene of his third act. The greatest judge, Jesus, was and is provided by God for delivering his people. And Jesus, in his acts of deliverance, fully and finally defeated sin, death, hell, and the devil in his own death. And then he didn't stay dead. His victory proclaimed and made sure by and through his resurrection. Jesus, then, is the greatest judge because he defeats the enemies of God's people and brings a deliverance that is full and is final. Jesus, the greatest judge who wins victory over the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people through his vicarious substitutionary death, he rises from the grave and offers fullness of salvation. We see in Samson a, a picture of ourselves, and yet we see the greatness and the glorious kindness of God. We're pointed towards Jesus, the greatest judge. But what difference does it make? Is this just for us to know in our heads intellectually? Folks, I believe this makes all the difference in the world because this functionally is the gospel. And the gospel changes everything. The Bible is about God. And the God of the Bible is the gracious giver. Like Samson, we humans have wandered far from God as we seek what is right in our own eyes, elevating ourselves into the place of prime importance. And just as he was with Samson, God is ready and willing to receive us back as we come broken, blinded, and bound. God responded to Samson in his need, and in Jesus Christ, God does exactly the same thing to a fuller extent for us. In Jesus, God provides all that is necessary for life with God, for reconciliation to and with God, for the fullness of salvation. This is good news for those who have not yet believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior because it means life is available, healing is available, freedom is available, a new way, a better way to be human is 
available as salvation is available. It is good news for those who have not yet trusted Christ because the way is clear. The path is unblocked. All you must do is turn around and believe. But it's also good news for those who believe in Jesus. Because, quite frankly, we, like Samson, even if we are men and women of faith, we wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And yet what we see in Scripture, what we see in the life of Samson, what we see in the prodigal son, is when we stray, God the Father is looking for us on the road of return. There is that when we wander, when we wander away into a far country, the Father is actively waiting and welcoming us in Jesus. It is Jesus who makes the blind to see and frees those who are bound. It is Jesus who heals the broken and makes them fully human. And maybe if you uh, haven't yet believed in Jesus, you, maybe you think your sins are too big. Well, Samson's weren't, and yours aren't either. Maybe if you have believed in Jesus, but you've wandered a field, you've gone into a far country, maybe you feel like you uh, have too big a sins for God to ever respond to, for God to forgive. Samson's weren't. And neither are yours. Maybe you feel as if you're not worthy to be forgiven. You aren't. But it's called grace. Salvation isn't something that you merit. It's about God's grace and God's gift. Samson wasn't worthy. But God is gracious. And so as we come to an end of Samson's third act, as we come to an end of Samson's life, let me ask you, where are you today? Perhaps in the preaching of the word, in the proclamation of the gospel, there has a, arisen within you a burning, a burning to call upon God for saving. Have you wandered far doing what is right in your own eyes and God is now telling you that it's time to come home? If so, use this time to do exactly that. Respond to God, the gracious giver, and accept his gift of Jesus, the greatest judge. The only one who can give humans life, the only one who breaks the chains of sin, the only one who gives us eyes to see as he welcomes the returning wanderer. As we sing, take an opportunity to respond to what God is calling you to do today. Would you like someone to pray with you? Come to the rail. During the Eucharist, there's a wonderful time to respond. We have prayer ministers available. There's people at the rail who are happy to pray with you. For the first time, or again, the Father is waiting for you to return. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you. Lord, we praise you because you are full of grace and mercy. We praise you that, that you respond to Samson with grace, and we praise you that you respond to us with your grace. And as we read and see in Scripture, you welcome with open arms those who return to you. Be at work in us, Lord, and bring us into closer relationship through Jesus Christ that we might grow in our love and knowledge of him and bring you glory and honor and praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.